0: The spirit that I have seen may be the devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape. Yea, and perhaps, out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. Powers.
1: and this is stage of fools
0: the unofficial royals podcast
1: today we'll be discussing season two episode five the spirit i have seen cyrus announces plans to make changes in the role of the monarchy at an official state event where he is accompanied by his maid turned girlfriend violet eleanor's budding relationship with mandy becomes tabloid fodder helena tries to contact alistair Lacey. A brief note about today's episode. Thanks for making it uh, this far with us. We're now at the midway point of season two. Unfortunately, what you're about to hear is not the first episode on season two, episode five that we've recorded. We had the wonderful comedian Jesse Whitehead on the show and... Uh, He did a great job. Um, We had a really funny conversation with him. But unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, um, we were not able to release that episode. So we just wanted to take a moment to thank Jesse for joining us. And we're definitely going to have him on the show as a guest as soon as we possibly can. Um, In the meantime, enjoy our episode on Season 2, Episode 5.
0: Yeah, so this is... A revisit of episode 205, which is thankfully a little better than the last two that we had to see.
1: 205 has something, over 204 at mm-hmm. least, in that it has a Old Hamlet's ghost quote as the title of the episode, or a quote sure. related to Old Hamlet's ghost. And we actually get Simon's ghost back for what might be the last yeah. time. It kind of seems think, that way. I guess we'll uh, see. It does,
0: it does look like this is the... The final bowing out for the actor who played Simon, but it is a return.
1: With the exception of the flashbacks With coming up. exception of the up. flashbacks,
0: that's true. Um, but uh, it is a return to form for the show in that it's another super on-the-nose title. It tells you exactly <laughs> what to expect in the episode, and that is a spirit that you will see.
1: Yes! Well, I'm excited to see that spirit, so let's dive right in.
0: You see the spirit almost instantly, because the opening is Cyrus preparing for some kind of event um, with uh, some fella helping him get prepared. And the guy drops the cufflinks, which Cyrus does not respond kindly to, of course, because it's still Cyrus. And while he's on the ground trying to pick him up, he spots for just a second uh, Simon in the mirror behind him. Um, Simon's
1: ghost appears, or at least his ghost in uh, Cyrus's consciousness, yes. appears with a ding sound effect that will be repeated later on in the episode. Still not quite as good a sound effect as Cyrus's gong, but I'll take it.
0: No, that's that's never going to get beat, the, the gong.
1: And, you know, this episode, we're going to have to spend a lot of time talking about Cyrus's girlfriend slash prostitute mm-hmm. maid, Violet, who yeah. he has a sort of... Tender romance with. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say, I have no problem with Cyrus being bisexual and being interested in women as well as men. But I just think that the campy gay man Cyrus of season one was so much more entertaining. And Mm -hmm. I thought that that really came across in this moment when the servant was crawling around on the ground for the cufflinks because they were shooting him from kind of this weird dutch angle yeah. and you know he's like on all fours and if it were season one cyrus would have looked at his butt and then like made some sassy remark yeah, about how he probably. was gonna have sex with him but instead nothing i was so disappointed
0: well the tone of the opening is very much is pretty it's pretty intense for a for a royals opening it's very melodic music a lot of dutch angles as you mentioned Uh, They're trying to make everything seem much more, I think, intense than it actually is at this point in the narrative. Not only in this scene, but also in the other half of the narrative, uh, the opening, which is Liam finding a shard of glass at the Broken Memorial (laughs) with a big image of his father's eye in it that he carries around dutifully for the remainder of the episode and keeps in his room.
1: He looks into it like he's looking into a magic mirror. It's... uh, Oh, because I love doing the Lion King connections with Liam. Ever since he's saying, "I just can't wait to be king," this moment totally made me think of Simba looking down into the puddle and like seeing Mufasa's reflection, like father. Because uh, it totally read as like a very, very melancholy moment, but it's just a big glass eye. And, he,
0: and and after he looks at it, there's like this shot of him from below, where he looks out, like he looks up from the eye, very intensely, like someone's gonna pay for this. Even though later he finds out who did it and doesn't do anything. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah.
1: The impression he gives that he does not care when he no. finds out who it is. I mean, whether or not he believes that the person confessed is the one who actually did it, I guess, is still a topic of debate. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. There is a great deal to unpack in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, man. Uh. So... Cyrus brings Violet in, and he's like, you're fired. She's like, no, what did I do? And he's (laughs) like, your job, too well. You're fired, and you're rehired as the mistress of the privy chamber. And these male servants come in with all these boxes of presents of clothes for her. And she is, like, crying. She is so touched, even though... He could not have announced it in a uh, less sensitive way.
0: It actually, two things. One, it reminds me of in the first season of both the British and American Office, the scene where the Ricky Gervais slash Steve Carell character Uh, fires the Pam character, and she starts sobbing before he he reveals that it was a joke all along, and second... Between the opening with the guy with the cufflinks and all these male servants bringing in the gifts, where did all these male palace attendants come from? I feel like we have never seen... It's all women dressed in French-made fetish outfits so far.
1: Those tunnels connect you to a lot of secret rooms in that Mm. palace, and I don't even want to tell you what's inside, because it'll curl your hair.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess.
1: (laughs) People just appear. Yeah. from behind portraits and up out of trap doors.
0: Now that he's settled on Violet, he doesn't need to keep all the other, all the other, uh, all the other around. Prostitutes around? Yes, the maids slash prostitutes, yeah.
1: They do all mysteriously vanish after being like 12 to a frame per scene. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they all went. I, I, maybe they'll come back later. We'll have to keep an eye out for them. The staff at the... This needs a subplot about the staff at the uh at the palace and not just the security detail, which is of course deeply incompetent. But meanwhile, Eleanor is in her room. Uh there's a lingering shot, I would say, of her legs and Mandy's legs <laughs> kind of crossed over. To say one the another. least. Yeah. Um. And they're both respectively sitting there texting. So Eleanor is texting Liam while Mandy is texting Jasper, who are also sitting next to one another in a a car somewhere because, of course, they're bros now.
1: And Jasper speaks to Liam with his British accent, which is so weird because Liam knows he's American now.
0: Yeah, but uh, I think maybe the reason is because of the theory which you have postulated before, because when he's talking to Liam, he's lying about who he's texting with. So when he speaks with his British accent, that's a lie. Oh, my and when God. when he speaks with his American accent, that's the truth. It's B- the worst my- tell ever.
1: But my theory is ironclad, because later on in the episode, he lies about having done a background check on another character, too. Yeah, and he I- does it in his British
0: accent even though he's talking to Ted, who I think also knows so he's So knows she's American! He's American. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we solved, solved it! it. So we God. cracked yeah. the
1: case! This is hilarious. Um, yeah. Alright, well, from now on, we know.
0: Yeah, we figured out Mark Schwann's secret code. Um, his riddle. But, uh, anyways, um, the point is, Eleanor has apparently decided to begin a relationship with Mandy. Uh, and... To celebrate, they go out to brunch, where the paparazzi snap a photo of them kissing, and it becomes a big story on dethroned seemingly later the same day, actually, which is kind of weird
1: i don 't know I think it would be huge news if a member of the royal family I guess they came were looking out. at
0: it I guess they were looking at it on an iPad, not on a newspaper for some reason, I thought they had a newspaper, but it must have been an iPad.
1: A newspaper why would not anyone could... have a newspaper?
0: I don't know there was newspapers earlier, I think. Cyrus you know, looks at a newspaper in this episode
1: yeah, but he's an old he's not a hip trendy oh, young sure. person
0: I'd say he's, he's old than like a lot. you mm, I <laughs> And I would also argue that Cyrus is way hipper than Liam um, That's
1: probably true. Liam, if you were American, would be like a member of the Young Republicans Club.
0: Probably. He, he's got that look. If you were American, he'd be Frank Gallagher. We all know that. <laughs>
1: of course. From Chicago.
0: Right. Um, but the, when uh, Cyrus looks at this newspaper, he sees something he does not enjoy, which is a political cartoon, trenchant political comedy, which is Cyrus standing in the shadow of Simon, his chin protruding forward, and the caption says, All chin, no king. That's it. That's the whole whole political comic. Uh, it offends Cyrus to no end, however. It
1: shouldn't offend him as much as it does, because honestly, the cartoon artist nailed that his chin is his best feature. He's Which got a great a chin. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, he's very, very upset. I mean, Cyrus has never been the best at taking criticism in a calm way, to say the least.
0: I imagine the part that he's most upset about is the fact that Simon is in the picture and his shadow is extending over him. Because, obviously, that's something he's deeply, deeply, deeply sensitive about.
1: Of course, that's pretty much what this episode is all about. But also kind of what the whole show has been about. I mean, from episode one, we had mm-hmm. Cyrus aiming the gun at the back of Simon's head. And we have had scenes throughout discussing their roles in the family and in the country. So, but they do especially beat us over the head with it in this episode.
0: Yeah. Um, in fact, it's largely the point of why the ghost is here. Um, we should mention, I think this episode... Gives a lot of credence to the idea that ghosts do not actually exist in the Royals universe. Slightly
1: disappointing, but it's definitely the case.
0: Yeah, one of a few uh, reveals that... I wish had turned out slightly differently this season, but that's okay.
1: If you're going to have a cursed diamond, why can't ghosts be real?
0: Yeah, I guess there's no official word on the curse being real either. That's up to speculation.
1: I think it's implied that it is, but we'll
0: see. But yeah, because every time Cyrus kind of comes to a mental breakthrough or understanding while dealing with the ghost, he manages to suppress it at exactly that moment. So it really gives credence to the idea that maybe, maybe it's just a figment of his imagination.
1: Yeah, the ghost doesn't necessarily talk like Simon talked in life anyway.
0: That's true. Yeah, he's much more aggressive, openly aggressive towards Cyrus and yeah. uh, accusatory, I guess you could say.
1: I don't want to rush ahead of ourselves by jumping to that scene, but mm-hmm. I could pretty much break down the big point that I think um, that Cyrus thinks that simon thought that simon didn't actually think which is that cyrus was beyond help
0: yeah that's at least what the ghost uh definitely implies or i guess openly says to him
1: he says that and i don't yeah. think that simon actually believed that
0: yeah probably not um but it's very reasonable that cyrus might especially because barbara bush told him something similar at that the he end could of last not be season trusted. yeah yeah
1: Anyway, so Mandy texts Jasper a picture of her and Eleanor's long legs together. Mm -hmm. And Jasper is like, meet me down in the tunnels. So Mandy says that she got a call from her agent about potentially doing a modeling gig in Milan. Because her cover is that she's a model, which makes perfect sense. She's an extremely beautiful woman. Um, It's not true, but it could be true. Mm -hmm. So she meets Jasper down in the tunnels. And they have a back and forth. Uh, Mandy hasn't yet figured out that Eleanor and Jasper had their little affair, uh, and she wants Jasper, you know, in on their original plot to steal the big diamond, the big Kirk's yeah. diamond, which its name escapes me right now.
0: It's like the Ko I Knower or something? Something yeah, like that. that sounds
1: right. Anyway, she calls him baby at the end of, like, every sentence, mm-hmm. and it's a really obnoxious tick. And Jasper, like he always does, tells her that he's in control. Yeah. He is the controlling one in all of his relationships, he goes, I'm the one in control. I'm in control. You're not yes. the one in charge. I'm in charge. And it's supposed to be like, "Oh, Fifty Shades of Grey. But it really just comes off as him being incredibly petulant.
0: They both are fairly repetitive, I guess, in that respect. Yeah, she does use baby sort of like sort of like how Edward G. Robinson used to use the word "c" when he played a gangster. Totally, It just caps every single thought that she has. At least when she's talking to Jasper.
1: You know, she's supposed to be like this two personalities conman like Jasper. But her affect when speaking to Jasper versus her affect when speaking to Eleanor, it's almost identical. She's not, like, yeah. changing anything or her personality. There's no duality. She just, her only character trait is coy. She's very coy with Eleanor yes. and she's very coy with Jasper. And that's pretty much it. It's excruciatingly dull.
0: I think they try to play it maybe a little more sultry in the Jasper scenes. I think they're going for, like, a it femme does not fatale come off that way. kind of vibe. But... Uh yeah, I'm not sure that it plays.
1: Uh Mandy leaves Jasper down in the tunnels and she goes back to Eleanor and she's like, even though they're offering me a lot of money, I'm not going to the modeling gig. My manager's just gonna have to deal with it because I'm staying here with you, and Eleanor is very touched.
0: Helena is not quite as taken with the news that uh uh Eleanor and Mandy have embarked on this relationship when she sees the dethroned front page. Or homepage, I guess, because I'm an old who reads newspapers. And she calls Eleanor in to discuss the matter and is not particularly supportive. She's back to her old self after her choose love monologue of the last episode.
1: Eleanor reminds Helena that she told her children to choose love and Helena responds, I was high, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Helena, oh, but this is the worst clunker line maybe of the episode in an episode with plenty of clunkers. Helena says, like, something along the lines of, the whole country is debating your sexuality. And Eleanor responds, more like, master debating. It's horrible. It's not good.
0: It's not good. Uh, Eleanor um, is a f- is a character who does not always do the best with comedy bits as much as she's one of the more enjoyable characters on the show. Um and yeah. that might have I to mean, do with the material.
1: Yeah, I won't blame her too much. Uh, but Joan Collins enters, and she, unlike Helena, is very supportive of Eleanor's relationship, at least at yeah. this point. She says something like, haven't we all tasted the rainbow? Yeah. Which was breathtaking, and not something I necessarily expected from Joan Collins' character, or that actress. Um, but she's really supportive, and yeah. it's pretty funny. I mean,
0: I think Helena mentioned something about the LBGTQ community and says, what does the Q even stand for? And Joan Collins responds, questioning, and we've all been in the <laughs> questioning category once or twice. So she's, she's <gasps> That's all That's amazing. About it. It's
1: she's, really good.
0: She's totally cool with it. Um, she's really supportive of <laughs> Eleanor in a way that Helena... Is not and will never will and never will be. Um, Well, maybe in the next episode a little, but we'll get there or two from now.
1: I forget who it is that breaks the news to the family that Cyrus destroyed Simon's memorial with a car in the scene.
0: I think it's Ted who does
1: it. The funny thing, though, what really struck me is that none of them seem remotely surprised. Like you think no. it would elicit some sort of emotional reaction? Your brother-in-law slash uncle just destroyed your husband slash father's monument with his car while drinking, and then he like cursed out civilians. But everyone no. kind of just has a sort of, of course, take on it.
0: But they've all lived with Cyrus their whole life, and this is a guy who enters rooms high on cocaine, wielding a sword, prepared I guess to that's kill his true. brother. And I think they really asked for it when they decided to make the monument out of glass. Like, yeah, maybe go with something a little more sturdy.
1: Even if it hadn't gotten knocked down, it was such an easy surface to, like, graffiti. It was like this big, flat panes of glass. Yeah. I can't really imagine how much it would have survived, especially during a time when it seems like the monarchy is at least somewhat divisive.
0: And it shattered really easily when he ran that car into it. You'd think they'd make it out of a, a stronger material. I think it was an inevitability. Maybe he yeah, did it a favor. Yeah,
1: he didn't even really total his car.
0: No, he didn't. He just went right through it. Um, <gasps> like butter. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody immediately accepts that Cyrus has done this because, of course, Cyrus did it. Uh, in the meantime, are preparing for a major ceremony that is occurring that day. Which is Cyrus is supposed to give some kind of accolades to uh, a young man who was a refugee from another country and went on to become a fairly prominent artist in England.
1: I don't know if he's a young man. He has gray hair, but (laughs) a, a
0: gentleman then.
1: He was someone who was jailed as a political prisoner who then created art in prison that was used uh, to create, you know, advocacy for his cause. That's pretty much as much as we know. They don't really give us any of the specific details of his particular cause. Mm -hmm. Uh, But actually, before the event starts, there's a scene that really struck me as Mm -hmm. hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Ted meets with Jasper and James Hill, who's Eleanor's right. new bodyguard, in his tower office, apartment house, living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really a room that serves all purposes, including yeah. watching vines of people sexually harassing your daughter. Sure. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So he's talking about how it's really important uh, that they do background checks on everyone who's going to be at the event all background checks should be checked and double checked yes and they're talking in particular about eleanor's new girlfriend mandy jasper lies and says that he's already done a background check on her and hill is like "Mm, but i'm eleanor's bodyguard so i really feel like i'm the one who should be doing this and ted is pretty like well you two work it out. Yeah.
0: He's like, Hill
1: is her bodyguard now.
0: He's just like, next time, Hill does it. But this time it's fine, more or less, because he's terrible at his job, as pretty usual. It's
1: classic Ted. He says that all background checks need to be checked and double-checked. He's sitting in a room with a man, Jasper, whose background he checked and it still caused problems. He's never done a double background check on anyone in his life. He barely does the first uh, background check. So when he said this line, I was like, since when, Ted?
0: Yeah. Jasper, who his background check revealed was some kind of con artist from America who The princess had arrested last season, who clearly has issues, personal issues, with Jasper, Uh, Eleanor does, and yet he's still apparently, like, second in command of all palace security, because this seems to be a meeting... Between Ted and, like, his most trusted lieutenants, if you will. I
1: think that part of it, too, is that he has, you know, the bodyguards of the prince and princess, which are obviously very high-ranking positions. So you're a high-ranking bodyguard automatically if you're uh, the person who's, like, individually assigned to protect that one royal. Although, honestly, it's, you know, we've said, as we've said many a time, nothing in the world of the show actually works the way things work. But I have to imagine that the real prince and princess have more than one bodyguard who's yeah. like, okay, you run along and do your thing. <laughs> I would think they have like a team or at least a small
0: group to choose from. I imagine so, yeah. I mean, I guess I would do some research into how the dynamics of the uh, royal bodyguard team work, but it would go against our mantra on this yeah, podcast to it do would, so.
1: it would go against everything we stand for and it's just not worth it.
0: Um, So Helena sends Lucius to deliver moved by her own choose love speech, which she immediately decries to Eleanor, but decides (laughs) to hold on to herself. Has sent Lucius to send this letter to Alistair Lacey. Um, Lucius comes back and says, the house is empty. There's no sign of anybody living there for some time. It looks like he's moved on, maybe because you told him. You don't want to speak for a year. But he does it very shiftily. Um, and unsurprisingly, Helena immediately sees that he's not being completely honest.
1: Yeah, he's never been good at pretending to be innocent at all. He always, like, appears from the shadows. It's like, oh, I delivered the message. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's very arch and yeah. uh, scheming at all times. It's just, I think that... Yeah, it would be hard not to be suspicious of him, which may be why later on when he's accused of something he didn't actually do, everyone buys it so easily.
0: Yeah, even though I will say when he confesses it, he doesn't confess it very convincingly. Um, No. But...
1: Uh, Cyrus walks in on Violet getting dressed in some of her new clothes that he bought Mm -hmm. her. I wrote down, I have in my notes, Violet is a skipper doll. For those mm-hmm. of you who aren't familiar with Skipper, she's Barbie's flat-chested younger sister who's like a chirpier little preteen version of Barbie. And that is what this character reminds me of. Cyrus basically treats her like a dress-up doll. And that's her role in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Simon's ghost says, clearly you have a thing for maids. And yes. Cyrus tells him to, oh, shut up.
0: Yeah, in the first of a, a couple longer scenes of the ghost sort of... Uh, berating Cyrus for being a terrible king. The first one takes place in this little room that I feel like maybe is supposed to meant to recall the chapel scene in the first season, where the two of them uh, a scene we liked, where the two of them uh, have a discussion in, I guess, the palace chapel. But this room that they're in in this episode has a bunch of stained glass mirrors surrounding it, so you kind of get this colored effect and it also reads like some kind of place of worship to me at least uh, that's what it, it seemed like
1: i think so as we've said many a time the show always gets the most out of its location i mean they are really using every part of that palace i think because we've seen a lot of interesting rooms and i would agree that this looks like it's some sort of chapel or anteroom that could have chapel-like uses. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this is kind of their big scene. They have uh, a back and forth. Ultimately, you know, Simon is accusing Cyrus, rightfully, of being power-hungry and selfish. And Cyrus is like, it wasn't easy growing up in your shadow. You could have made it easier for me. You could have stepped aside and let me have my moment in the sun. And Simon says, you don't deserve the sun. And basically says, he's beyond help. And he can never be trusted.
0: Yeah, which... May be true. I mean, as far as we can tell so far, <laughs> the only person he seems to have any positive feelings towards is Violet, and even that is wildly out of character.
1: And it's weird because it seems like all of Violet's, you know, best traits, like her kindness, her you know naivete her cheerfulness her energeticness these are all traits that cyrus has never valued before
0: complete disdain uh yeah is, is what i would describe his attitude towards those attributes being but there you have it they they wrote violet in there to give cyrus i guess a little bit of a a gentle side which nobody wanted i don't think but we got it anyways Still,
1: no, I wish they had pushed him to go, I mean, I guess we'll get to that at the at the event, <laughs> but to go full villain.
0: Yeah, actually, it seems like his response to his imagined, I guess, chiding from his brother is that he leans into the power-hungry dictator role.
1: I guess he feels like he has nothing to gain from being kind, so at this point no. he might as well go full power and see what he can yeah, get, I mean, because no one is going to trust him anyway.
0: Yeah, he could distinguish himself in his own terms, maybe. Yeah, I guess um, that's
1: what, he th- what he's thinking.
0: But uh, he invites the cartoonist who drew the All Chin, No King uh, cartoon to the event, which he attends st- stupidly, I this would say. This
1: guileless idiot. This is the exact same thing I was talking about when Holloway was taken hostage as part of that tradition thing. Everyone acts like they know nothing about Cyrus's disposition and they expect him to be exactly like Simon, which is the show sending us really mixed messages, since in the world of the show's media, everything is made of the difference between Simon and Cyrus. And even here in America, I feel like I've seen things and heard things about the dispositions of the different members of the British royal family. I kind of feel like in England, even if there were a rumor about Cyrus doing some of the stuff that he does, it would catch, catch hold.
0: And it's very clearly established the people do not like him in the slightest
1: no partly because he goes out into public and yells at them
0: (laughs) yes somehow they covered up the smashing of the memorial which is absolutely insane yeah but the prime minister lady makes a flippant reference to having scotland yard cover up the whole event um Uh, I don't know how that would work but
1: I don't know she's such an asshole every time that character is on screen and she opens her mouth I just hear Mm -hmm. like buzzing because she interacts briefly with Liam at this garden party event in the artist's honor and she's totally like flirting with him in the world of this show every older woman is a complete cougar like she's really it feels like she's coming on to him she's like you know we could help each other, etc. And uh, just to briefly touch on it, because he really has borderline nothing to do in this episode, Mm -hmm. Liam attends the event in the Artist's Honor where he meets up with Genevieve, the girl mm-hmm. from the polo match, and yes. we've seen her a couple times at other parties. Yes. And her cool girl, capital C, yes. capital G status is yes. well established when Liam asks here, Did you come here for the desserts or the binge drinking? Uh,
0: and she says, I came for both. Because <laughs> she is just one of the guys style, one hundred percent. I, I totally was really to her.
1: I was really rooting for Genevieve for a while. I mean, when she was just loading up with desserts, I was like, wait, I actually can relate to this. But since we've seen her, it's become clear that she is, like, those one of the guys, girls, that... Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that doesn't really exist, but I'm saying that the show kind of fetishizes that in a way. The same way, uh, I'm definitely not against same-sex female relationships, but the show fetishizes Eleanor and Mandy.
0: Yeah, they Fetishize a lot of things. It's kind of a theme.
1: It's really a carnival of fetishes.
0: Mm -hmm, Pretty much.
1: Uh, But there's not too much to say about Liam and Genevieve's plot. They slip away from the party with some champagne and sort of walk and talk. Genevieve talks about her Brazilian horse heiress fortune, and that's how she's in polo. Sure. And then... As so often happens to Liam, she gives him a pep talk about how all he needs to do is be himself and just inspire all of them to do better. This is very classic, the Royals. Like, you could cut out this scene and insert it anywhere in the show's run, and it would fit. The only people Liam is willing to take advice from are beautiful young women, and they're always incredibly encouraging.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, As you've noted... Liam constantly gets encouragement from beautiful young women telling him to be himself. Usually the women don't have much of a character outside of being Sweetness. a means. Yeah. yeah. Or being a means through which to try to give Liam some confidence. And it's a contrast between men, usually older men, telling Eleanor, as you noted, that she needs to change Ugh. all the time.
1: Yeah, as I've noted many a time, as arguably I've harped on, uh, it's just frustrating. I mean, I'll say it's not a level playing field because Eleanor, as we've seen, is a true drug addict and a sex Mm -hmm. addict. Of course, yeah. But still, it's tiresome to have this, the world of the show where it's the job of women to build up men and it's the job of men to, like, parent women.
0: Yeah, and it's also interesting that a lot of the guys who give... Eleanor' advice, kind of as a contrast, sort of have a character in their own right. Uh, at least Hill and Simon, whereas the ladies and who encourage and Jasper, not so much Beck. I think Beck could fall into the category of not much of a character. But um, a lot of the women who encourage Liam are just there to do only that.
1: Though Liam arrives unaccompanied and meets up with Genevieve at the party, sort of by happenstance. Eleanor, because maybe because they give her advice, she's quitting men for the time being. Right. Uh, Eleanor arrives with Mandy in tow as her official date. How do we know that they're officially, officially dates? Well, for one thing, Eleanor is wearing a rainbow dress, uh-huh. so that's a
0: start. Um, it's not a particularly great-looking dress. It looks it's like almost tie-dye. very tie cheap-looking,
1: yeah. It looks very cheap um, and ugly. And it, she dyed parts of her hair purple, too, and it just looks, like, yes. so bad.
0: It's not good. And it really does look like she just... She had a white dress, and she just made it into that earlier yeah, that Yeah, like, she
1: scrunched it up and tie-dyed it.
0: Just to play to the public expectations. Um... But
1: I think she's relishing pissing her mother off. I mean, her grandmother basically says as much later on and the show makes that pretty clear. That's another reason why I just will never be invested in her relationship with Mandy. Like, it's so obvious that it's about getting her mom to rise to the bait. There's no genuine romantic love there.
0: Yeah, they do try to play it off like there's some kind of later that there's some serious emotional interest and then... It'll be interesting to see how that plays when we revisit those episodes. But I just um, don't buy
1: it. I know yeah. that they're trying, but I just I'm not I'm not buying it. I don't yeah. know. I guess say what you will about Eleanor and Jasper, but at least they have chemistry.
0: And and I feel like the Mandy thing, especially in rewatching it this season, occurs just so much more quickly than I thought it did when I first saw the season, because she basically took up with she met her two episodes ago, took up with her last episode now they're in a full relationship, and a lot of it comes to a head already in the episode following this one, not to give too much away. but
1: It's arguably the bulk of Eleanor's business this season. Yeah,
0: and it still feels rushed to me, but what can you do?
1: <laughs> I um, certainly don't want them to linger on it any no, more no, no, than no, they no. have.
0: Uh, I'm not saying they that should have, but I mean, maybe a, the payoff would have worked better if they had... Given it time to feel a little more organic or maybe even pushed the reveal that she was uh, working with Jasper in some way until a little later.
1: Or sprinkled it more throughout. Or if they had given Eleanor and Mandy time to be genuine friends. They have one episode of hanging out and the entire time they're like sexualizing each other. So it's not that they ever have like a genuine non-sexual relationship. I might have been more invested in it if they had.
0: I guess the reason for that is because I think at the end of the day, the purpose of the Mandy relationship is mostly to color the relationship between Eleanor and Jasper and move That's what makes it so
1: insulting.
0: Yeah. So that's the real purpose behind it and why it doesn't get the time or attention it really should if they wanted to make it a little more compelling or interesting. But...
1: No, I think Eleanor and Jasper are just two characters whose storylines are always going to be somewhat inexorable Mm -hmm. because really, and we've been feeling it this season with Jasper doing the whole secret agent thing, without being an antagonist for Eleanor, Jasper has basically no purpose in the show. I mean, it drains him of every sort of bit of personality. Whenever he's in a scene with someone who's not Eleanor, it's just as dull as anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's just a overly serious, single-focused, like, basically a tool by which Liam can do things, but not so much a character in his own right. Um, but there you have it. Um,
1: Let's get to what this event is really about. And no, sure. it's not really about the artist. It's in honor of. It's not about that at all. So everyone uh-huh. takes their seats. Um we get some good reaction shots during this sequence from not just the Henstridge family, but also the acting prime minister and Genevieve, whose Mm -hmm. family helped fund the artist's cause. Um, And Cyrus is knighting this artist. And as he is, he's giving a speech about the man's great work that takes a hard left turn to say the least. He starts talking about basically how this country used to be great, yeah. eerily seeming to echo Donald Trump months ahead of that yeah. person's saying the majority of the stuff he said now. It's a rare moment of prescience for the show, which is usually so disconnected from anything yeah. resembling would, actual politics.
0: It would be interesting to see, to figure out exactly when this episode was recorded to see if that, that slogan had uh, already been introduced at the time that they filmed this. But uh,
1: I think it probably had, but still, uh, it was an interesting moment. Um, and Cyrus uses this as a platform to talk about how he's going to change things. The monarchy needs some balls back on the throne, of course, because he's obsessed with his testicles. Yes, yeah. And he was talking earlier in the episode about walking funny because he'd, quote, lost a plum, which yes. is a horrible <laughs> metaphor. Uh, and he has his guards find the cartoonist who drew that insulting picture of him in the crowd and has him arrested and as the man is dragged away Cyrus leans down to the man he just knighted and says be careful what you draw yep
0: yeah, yes and and as the, as the guy protests as he's being led away he's like if you want free speech go to America and uh. it's all very, all very arch villain Cyrus um, which I mean, is a far better turn than Violet, Cyrus.
1: He could... He could never do this, though. That's the thing. No, 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 this no. This would no. never oh, in a million legally, years be allowed.
0: I mean, we are living in a fictional fantasy universe where time and distance mean nothing, but legally speaking, there is no conceivable way a monarch could have a man arrested for drawing a pretty tame political cartoon.
1: Yeah, it can't really be construed as hate speech uh, or anything particularly slanderous or libelous. I always forget which means written down and which means spoken libel. Uh, Anyway, yeah, that pretty much summarizes the event. Cyrus is making it more and more open to his country that he's trying to be a dictator, (laughs) uh, which is a little bizarre. Uh, Although I think for the record, I'd still rather live in Cyrus's England than Trump's America.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there are probably, even though he can apparently arrest cartoonists, I think there are a lot of probably limitations on both Cyrus's power and what he has an interest in actually doing. Uh, I think mostly he just wants people to respect him. Beyond that, he doesn't care.
1: Well, he and I have very different definitions of respect, I guess I would say. Yeah. But as he's fear, as he's driven away from the event, he's in the back seat of his limo, and Mm -hmm. Simon's ghost is sort of out of focus behind him. It appears using the same dinging Mm -hmm. sound effect from earlier in the episode. And this time, after a little scornful back and forth, Cyrus tells Simon to go away, and Simon's ghost disappears.
0: Once again, proving that it seems like ghosts are not real. Also, the fact that the ghost appeared before Simon was dead might indicate that. But um, I do wonder about this scene, if the driver overheard this particular conversation? Because he's the only one where he's in a semi-public place discussing it with the ghost, but...
1: Well, we have no reason to uh, believe that this ghost doesn't play by the same rules that the ghost of Ted's wife does. And in that scene, as soon as Liam walks into the room, the ghost ghost vanishes. Yes. So, yeah, I almost feel like he would have to see Cyrus talking to nothing because that has been pretty much established as how it works. To quote a favorite podcast of ours... That's yes. how it works.
0: Mm-hmm. So glad um, I got to do that on air. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reviews for the ceremony are in. Um, Dethroned, once again, appearing in the episode and calling it From Rainbow to Shitstorm, I think is the headline. Not a great headline.
1: Yeah, I get the weather thing, but no, it's not very impressive. Yeah, uh, Joan Collins comes in and is still cool. She's still, as I have in my notes, a chill granny, a chill Mm -hmm. and respectful granny. Uh, There's a really fun moment I liked where she and Eleanor embrace and Joan Collins says, watch the hair. And Eleanor says, sorry. And they both play the moment like completely straight, not winking at it or giggling at all. Like, uh, she's genuinely like, okay, so don't mess up my hair. Kind of a yeah. young Frankenstein thing, I guess. Uh, uh, I enjoyed that. But Joan Collins makes a really good point. She says, it seems to me that you're just using this girl to piss your mother off. And it's great if you want to take a stand, but take a stand that actually means something to you.
0: Uh, yeah. For And once she gives her a, diamonds. For once. Yes, yeah, she does. She gives her a diamond because she was born for diamonds. She Lucille's. Uh, Lucille's her again, skipping Helena and giving all the gifts to Eleanor.
1: Uh, diamonds don't really agree with Helena.
0: Of course not. Um, (laughs) but yeah, it is, I guess in this context, not only is her, does her advice make sense, but I hadn't thought of it, but it is a change of pace in that a woman is the one giving Eleanor advice for once.
1: Imagine that. Yeah. It's also maybe not. Uh, maybe Joan Collins mellowed out as a grandma more of the show than she did with a mom because that was does not seem like advice she would have given a young Helena. Oh no! I mean, no. we're gonna learn more this season. I don't want to spoil it yet because the reveals are actually super, super, super fun and campy. But Joan Collins was definitely heavy involved in her daughter's love life when Eleanor was or when Helena was Eleanor's yeah. age. So. I think-
0: even from the first time you meet the Joan Collins character, you get the sense that she's all about positioning herself in a politically powerful place.
1: Oh yeah, I mean that's how she got her title. She wasn't, she wasn't the a duchess or you know a grand duchess before her yeah. daughter married into the royal family.
0: Yeah, and she had no compunctions about using her daughter to reach those ends. So, to say um, the least. Yes.
1: But that's for later in the season, and I hope that your curiosity is piqued, listener, because mm-hmm. it is worth it. That was probably the one of the later season plot lines that I actually loved was everything that Joan Collins was involved yeah. in. She's no. just—I mean, I've said it before, but everyone needs to match her energy on this show. She does a great job with all the material she's given, even her terrible, you know, if. If Eleanor and Helena had been the ones making the Taste the Rainbow jokes, we would have hated it. Probably. But Joan yeah. Collins delivers it with so much, like, she just owns it completely. She's not ashamed of the joke at all. I think she has really good comedic timing.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, she's, in, she's a pro, I guess. This um, has been
1: another episode of me gushing about Joan Collins. <laughs>
0: um. So, after this, uh, Helena calls has she sent Ted to go investigate Alistair Lacey's home it's a weird scene when she sends him because she walks into his office and what he's doing is just staring at the domino card, just standing still in the middle of his office looking at it like that's going to reveal some deeper truth to him and he quickly hides it.
1: And based on stuff we see later, I would say at this point he arguably understands why it's called Domino and why the symbol is Domino's Falling. Like, once you know it's not really that secretive of a thing, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, of course, I remember her, etc. Yeah. So it, it's really strange.
0: It is. Um, but she has sent Ted to investigate Alistair Lacey's house because she does not trust Lucius with good reason. And in a moment of competence, he comes back and says, so it looks like the place was cleared out. There's no sign of a struggle. But I did find this residue that indicates there were gunshots in the house. Um, So for once, Ted is a competent investigator.
1: There's a first time for everything. Yeah. Although he may have had his reasons for not competently investigating Simon's murder.
0: That's true, yeah. Uh, If you missed the last episode, Ted was accused of being the killer uh, of King Simon.
1: By a Uh, member of Domino.
0: By a member of Domino. So he is on the suspect list at the very least.
1: Well, Jasper says earlier in this episode... Everyone was a suspect, including me, which is not true. I mean, yes, Jasper was a suspect, but no, not everyone was a suspect. Did anyone honestly think that Ophelia did it? No. No. Did anyone think that Eleanor did it? No. Did anyone think that Barbara Bush did it? I doubt it.
0: Yeah. Nor Liam. I would say that the three biggest characters on the show at the time were definitely not in the content, not in the running.
1: Helena tells Lucius that she saw Alistair Lacey in the crowd at the event. And Lucius goes, but that's impossible, really quickly. Because as I said, he's the worst at pretending to Mm -hmm. be innocent. And Helena goes like, how did you know that? And he's like, uh, 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 because I looked for him everywhere. There's no way, uh. But he's just really bad at lying. And uh, Helena is like, you knew that he was dead. You knew that he'd been killed. And I don't think Lucius ever implicates Cyrus in in Alistair's death, which is, I mean, I guess he's loyal to the crown, but at the end of the day, he's the most loyal to Helena, which we know because when Ted interrogates him, Lucius is like, he's like, it's like a Death Eater in Lord Voldemort. He's like snivelingly loyal, like, she was my queen and I would do anything for her. It's super gross.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um... He's really sycophantic. I don't know. I I originally wondered because there's scenes that imply earlier in the season that his allegiance had shifted a little bit towards Cyrus. I now wonder if maybe he didn't implicate Cyrus because he knew it wouldn't gain anything and might actually cause more strain or felt it might cause more strain or stress for Helena to know that Cyrus was involved. In any case, when she mentions to Cyrus later that Lucius killed Alistair Lacey he plays dumb 100%. Uh,
1: well, if Lucius's actual endgame goal is just to do what's best for Helena, Helena wants to be on the throne. He could have told her, okay, yes, I ordered the guards, but Cyrus ordered me. Then Helena could publicly accuse Cyrus of the murder of Alistair, and it could go to trial, and he could be convicted slash jailed. And yeah. then she would be on the throne if she had successfully changed the order of succession in time, right. which I feel like it'd be even easier to prove that the daughters were unfit to rule if there were aspersions being cast on Cyrus and, like, his mental state. So, That's obviously, true. I'm just talking about ways the show could have gone. As usual, they picked the most boring and least mm-hmm. interesting and yeah. least kind of, like, ridden route to go down.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe that conflict will come out a little in later seasons, but I, I I feel like it's unlikely. Um, but in any case, uh, she has Lucius arrested for killing Alistair Lacey. And while they are waiting for the police to arrive, Ted is given the task of keeping an eye on him. And, uh, while they're waiting, Alistair approaches this chest and pulls out a very old revolver and clearly has intentions to commit suicide with it. Um, But Ted stops him um, uh, to do something that looks very extraordinarily suspicious, I think, to the average viewer. Um,
1: Yeah. uh, You know, just before we go ahead, I did want to make note, as we've said before, Zach and I have seen the entire season. We are up to date. So we know who Simon's killer is. What I'm about to talk about next is not a spoiler. Uh, I'm not going to reveal either way whether or not Ted is the actual killer. I'll just say, when I watched the show the first time through, and I had no idea who the killer was because those episodes hadn't even aired yet, this moment convinced me of Ted's guilt. Because the way I saw it, there was no other reason to get Because we know that Ted doesn't really care about making things easier for Helena and her children. He's Mm -hmm. pretty much shown time and time again that they can pretty much hang themselves out to dry. And he doesn't have a lot of remaining affection for the royal family. So I figured, you know, why else would he get this false confession out of Lucius? There's no other reason.
0: Um, Yeah, uh, and that confession is... Ted makes the argument that if he wanted to continue to be of service to the monarchy, he could help heal the wound of King Simon's death by copping to being the killer. Uh, And thus kind of putting an end to that particular (laughs) chapter of their lives.
1: Your trusted servant who lived in your house and saw you Mm -hmm. every day and took care of you was the one who killed your dad and your husband. Don't you feel better now?
0: Yeah. I'm not sure anybody trusted Lucius, but point taken, nonetheless... Um, And
1: again, when the royal family is informed that Lucius made a confession, their attitude is like, him? Like, it's really just like, but not really surprised or outraged, just sort of like, huh, sucks.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Pretty, pretty, take it pretty gracefully uh, for it being the person who murdered your father, who you've known for years, presumably. But uh, yeah, uh, Lucius agrees to do this. He confesses to the murder of King Simon. And uh is uh theoretically thrown in jail for it. Um the last thing we see is him confessing.
1: To await trial one supposes, although I don't know that the royals will ever take us into a courtroom. No, so no, I
0: seriously doubt we'll it. We'll
1: see. Which is too bad because I always love watching shows with British lawyers because they still wear those black robes and uh and white wigs. powdered wigs to court, mm-hmm. which is the best thing ever. Yeah. And it always makes me smile. Dom Hall Gleason wears one of those get ups in About Time, which is a pretty mediocre movie, but fun for that reason.
0: Fair enough. Watch that um, scene of About Time.
1: Well, Bill Nighy is in it. So there are a couple scenes you can watch. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, a lot of stuff happened this episode, to say the least.
0: Yeah. Um,.
1: The main plot, like the murder plot, was moved forward, which I would like to
0: see. There's, I think, one more wrap-up of Jasper and Mandy meeting in the tunnels again. And now Mandy knows that Eleanor kind of despises Jasper.
1: And that she has reason to suspect that Jasper is in, you know, in love with Eleanor. She She tells him that he better push those feelings deep, deep down.
0: Yeah. Jasper also wavers a little bit on his American accent in this scene. And it really (laughs) stuck out to me because when he first enters, he says something like, something about, do you have any idea what you're doing? But he says, do you have any idea what you're doing? And it's really great. He's Frank Gallagher. Yeah. Frank Gallagher's this scene pretty hard. But um, aside from that, um, that kind of wraps this one as far as I'm remembering.
1: I think so. Uh, Yeah. Pretty much we end on the beat of after everyone finds out that Lucius is the supposed murderer. We have that little coda with Mandy and Jasper and that's it. So uh, let's move on to our favorite moments of the episode. What was your favorite moment?
0: Um, I guess I'm going to have to give it to uh, Cyrus returning to his villainous roots for a minute, stepping away from the Violet storyline he even has a sword when he arrests that cartoonist. Well, without, well, outside of his actual uh, bounds of power. But uh, I have to give it to it. It's always fun to see Cyrus. Hemming it up as a true villain.
1: I completely agree. I'm going to give my favorite moment to my fave lady, Joan Collins, mm-hmm. when she says, The cue is for questioning. And we've all been in the questioning part, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, it's just so funny and good. And... You know, it would have been so easy to make her like a traditional pearl clutching old woman who's scandalized by her granddaughter's bisexuality. But it's a way more refreshing change to see her being accepting of it, especially on a show that doesn't always do the greatest job of not turning gay people into stereotypes, as we saw Mm. with Ivan slash Yvonne. Oh,
0: yeah, right. Not the best. Thankfully not in this episode.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. I can't believe we're halfway through season two already. It's really flying by. And uh, we will be having an episode with Jesse Whitehead as a guest as soon as we can, because I think you guys are just going to love hearing him. He's so funny. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening.
0: Yep. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: See ya. Bye. Bye.
0: Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod, or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of Eve. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.